0: 2 Corinthians chapter 6, and um, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And I have on your notes verse 17. That's the, the main one. But I'm going to read some verses just around that, uh, starting in verse. Uh, um, verse. Uh, we'll go to verse 14 and, and come into that. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14. And then after you have your finger there, if you go back to Leviticus chapter 20, Leviticus chapter 20 in verse 26 and stand with me one more time as we read these verses and we'll pray one once again but Leviticus chapter 20 in verse 26 it says this and ye shall be holy unto me for I the Lord am holy and have severed you from other people that ye should be mine read that read that verse aloud with me would you and ye shall be holy unto me for I the Lord am holy and have severed you from other people that ye should be mine. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, and verse 14, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And I will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Lord, we love you and we thank you for the privilege of being children of God. Lord, I'm thankful for the sacrifice of your Son that made that possible that we could be born again, that we could become the children of God. Lord, I pray that tonight that you'd speak to our hearts that we would look more like Christ, that we would be a peculiar people, Lord, set apart in the Lord Jesus Christ, not only positionally through salvation and our relationship with the Lord, but also in our practice and our walk tonight. Lord, give us a greater understanding of this book of Leviticus, and I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. How many of you have a favorite book of the Bible? Anybody? Who's got a favorite book? You got a favorite one? Favorite New Testament, shout one out for me. Favorite New Testament book, anybody? Romans, who said Romans? Romans right over here. Give me another one. New Testament. Ephesians, somebody else over here. John, I love John. How about Old Testament book? Anybody favorite Old Testament book? Yes, ma'am. Psalms, Psalms is a popular one. Yes, ma'am. Genesis, Genesis. Anybody else? Yes, sir. Jonah, you like the book of Jonah. Yes, you've been, Pardon. Isaiah. Isaiah is probably my favorite Old Testament book. How many of it is Leviticus? Aha. Uh-huh. I was waiting to see if anybody would shout out Leviticus. All right. Did someone over here say so? And uh, Leviticus. Boy, it's one of those books that many times if we're not careful when we come to. We want to get through in a hurry. Numbers, various other ones. We, we come to them and, and maybe on occasion you ask yourself, Lord, do I need this? And yet I'm reminded of what the Lord said in, in, in Timothy. He said all scripture. All scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction, righteousness of the man of God may be perfectly, perfectly furnished or maybe, help me out, I just lost, maybe perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Thank you. All right. And uh, so God gave us this book on purpose and without it, we would be missing something he very definitely intended us to have, not only in our doctrine, but in our practice God said we needed it, and we can't neglect it because if we neglect it, we'll be missing something that he intended for us to receive. And, uh, and it's an important book, and, and I want to look at this book uh, tonight. And uh, this book is really the people marking time at Mount Sinai. It's, it's a very short period of time, and they start, the big book begins there at Mount Sinai. It finishes in the same, the people are in the same spot when it finishes. Uh, they're really there for just a very, very short time. But if you go back to the very beginning of of the book, and I want to look at Leviticus chapter 1, and there's an important uh, phrase there just when you see the Lord begin to speak uh, there to Moses and the people. It says in verse 1, And the Lord called unto Moses and spake unto him out of the tabernacle of the congregation, saying, And the Lord called unto him out of the the tabernacle. Here God's speaking to them from the tabernacle. When I think of this passage of Scripture, I'm reminded of what the Lord tells us in the New Testament, that we are the temple of the Holy Ghost, uh, that you and I have become the temple of the Holy Ghost. Boy, those people went to the tabernacle and from the tabernacle to the temple, there to where the presence of God would be among His people. But, but you and I have the incredible privilege of having the Holy Spirit of God within. And we are the temple of the Holy Ghost. But the Lord speaks from the tabernacle he speaks from there and that words, those words just begin and the Lord called I think of John ten twenty-seven, where it says this my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they what they follow me my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me you see that here in this book. In Matter of fact, this book has more of the words of God than any other book in your Bible. Now, I know the whole Bible is God's word, but in terms of God directly speaking, uh, if you take where God was directly speaking, such as this, and the Lord called unto Moses, you will see more of God speaking to people than in any other book of the Bible. I would say that that really says this book is a vitally important book. And uh, if we see more of that, and you see this as God calls to his people. I think of this, that you and I are the called out ones. We've been called by the Lord Jesus Christ. My sheep hear my voice. The book of Exodus tells us how how God gets his people out of Egypt. Boy, we looked at this a few weeks ago, but it just exodus the way out how God would bring his people out of Egypt. And, or, and really, Exodus is a book, an Old Testament, Old Testament picture of redemption. Egypt being a picture of the world and the bondage that comes with it. And God using Moses to call his people out of Egypt and to bring them through the Red Sea and begin their way through. And Exodus is a book of God bringing his people out. It tells how God gets his people out of Egypt. Leviticus tells us how God gets Egypt out of his people. Exodus tells us how God gets His people out of Egypt, and Leviticus tells us how God gets Egypt out of His people. Uh, John Phillips would say this about the book. Leviticus stands in the same relation to Exodus as the epistles do to the Gospels. All the sinner needs to know is that a lamb has been provided, blood has been shed, and salvation is available. The saved sinner needs to know very much more than that. Exodus is expounded in Leviticus, and the Gospels are expounded in the Epistles. If you go to your New Testament, uh, you'll go and you'll turn to those books of the Gospels, and you'll see all about what Jesus did for us at Calvary. And as you turn to the Epistles, you'll see what that means in our life. Not only the doctrines laid out, but the way a Christian is meant to live. And you see those things. And in here in the Old Testament, we see something very similar in the Old Testament, We see the way out provided, the story of redemption in the book of Exodus. Matter of fact, in Genesis, you see the ruin of man. In Exodus, you see a little bit of the salvation of man. And in Leviticus, you see the sanctification of man. You see God changing his people. And it's God saying, not only have I called you out of Egypt, but I want Egypt out of you. In Exodus, Exodus offers a pardon to God's people. Leviticus offers purity to God's people. Exodus is God's approach to man. It was God bringing people out. Leviticus is man's approach to God, how we should come before him. In Exodus, we see Christ as our Savior. In Leviticus, we see Christ as the sanctifier, the one who changes our life. In Exodus, man's guilt is prominent. We needed salvation. In Leviticus, man's defilement is prominent, the need to be cleansed. In Exodus, we see that God speaks out of the mount. In Leviticus, God speaks out of the tabernacle. In Exodus, man is made nigh to God, and in Leviticus, man is kept nigh to God. It is God changing people. God hasn't changed his mind about men's lives being changed, has he? Titus chapter 2, verse 11 says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin continue any longer therein? Romans chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. We see that God wants to change and sanctify his people. We see that in the Old Testament. God called his people out of Egypt, but he didn't want them living like the Egyptians. He wanted them to be his people. Those verses we just looked at in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 26, it says, is the key verse of Leviticus. And ye shall be holy unto me, sanctified, sanctified, set apart in the Lord. For the Lord, for, for I, the Lord, am holy, and have severed you from other people, that ye should be mine. God wanted his people to be different. He called them out of Egypt, he brought them out of Egypt. And he wanted their lives to be different from everybody around them. He wanted them to be known as his people and as his children. And I'm thankful that we get to be a child of God, aren't you? Uh, To as many received him, to them give you the power to become the sons of God. But God desired that when we became his children, it would be clear to everybody else that we are his children. (laughs) That our lives would be different, that our lives would be shaped, that our lives would be changed, that we would be like him. It's, it's pictured in the Old Testament. It's called for in the New Testament. The name of the book, Leviticus, uh, it be, is because of the account of Levitical priesthood and their duties. It, it speaks of the tribe of Levi and God's call for them uh, to, and their practices of their Levitical duties. There is no question in the mind of Bible believers that Moses wrote the book. There's some references I won't turn to tonight for the sake of time, but if you were to read in Matthew chapter 8, verse 4, you would see the Lord referencing the writings of Moses. And in Leviticus 4, verse 2, you would see those writings unfold that Christ spoke of. John 8, verse 5, something similar. But God, these are the writings of Moses. Jesus himself referenced them as the writings of Moses. The purpose of the book of Leviticus... The book was given to Israel for direction in living as a holy nation in fellowship with a holy God. It was a code of law for the total well-being of Israel. It covered the physical, moral, spiritual, the sacrifices, the ceremony, the the, the ritual, the instructions, the washing, the convocation, the holy days, the observances, the conditions and warnings crowd out this book. And I am thankful for God's mercy when I read books like this, aren't you? I'm thankful for the mercy of God. I'm thankful that when God calls for holiness, he also offers forgiveness and cleansing. I'm thankful that those things are a work of God. All of those exercises in the book of Leviticus have a, a, really, they're, they're painting types of things that we get to live out today. Boy, in the Passover, the instruction on the Passover, we see the, the, what Christ offers us in the final sacrifice. In those first five sacrifices mentioned in the first chapters, 1 through 7 of Leviticus, we see who Christ is and what he's done for us. This book is filled with types when it comes to the Christian and the Christian life. Filled with New Testament truths for God's people. They were types in the Old Testament, but they're truths for us today. Exodus has to do with sinners. Leviticus has to do with saints. Exodus shows people the way out. Leviticus shows them the way in. Exodus showed showed the people out of bondage and out of Egypt. Leviticus shows them the way into God's presence. In Exodus, we have God's approach to us. In Leviticus, we have our approach to God. Exodus shows us our union with Him. Leviticus shows us our communion with Him. In Exodus, we see how we can be delivered from Satan. In Leviticus, we see how we can be dedicated to God. God thunders from Sinai in Exodus, and He speaks from the tabernacle in Leviticus. It is draw nigh to God, and He will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. Purify your hearts, ye double minded. It is the call to draw nigh to God. In Exodus, we see God approaching us. In Leviticus, we see man's approach to God. Friend, God has come to us. He sent His Son to die on the cross, to rise again three days later that we're saved. It is not about us working our way to Him. He has come to us. But in our communion and our fellowship with the Lord, there is a call for God's people to be holy, even as I am holy. Exodus gives that, that, that truth. We, we make this statement over and over again in our life Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and for how long? Forever. God hasn't changed His mind about His people being holy and separated unto Him. He hasn't changed His mind about it. There's still a call for this holiness in our life. You see the outline of this book. The five offerings of the law uh, there in chapters 1 through 7. And we see the offerings, the the sweet savor offerings, picturing a a portrait of Christ, what Christ did for us uh, in those first few chapters. You see the law of the offerings in chapters 6 and 7. You see the priests, all believers, I think if it's Peter where the Lord will come to the verse later where he calls us a, a chosen generation, a royal what? Priesthood. You see the consecration of the priest. Boy, there is a lot of lessons if you read that picture in what Christ did for us at salvation. I think of those priests. Once as they entered into the priesthood, as they were dedicated into the priesthood, they were washed completely and cleansed. But daily as they went about the business of the tabernacle, they washed their hands and their feet. But what a picture! Once, friend, once at salvation we were cleansed, weren't we? Once for all, His blood was shed for us. But daily, there is a need for us to keep our hearts right for our Lord, isn't there? Live in a dirty world. We're walking through a dirty world. The need to keep our hearts and our hands clean. And what a picture there is in the priests and our the priesthood of Christ. What Christ has done for us and our privilege of approaching Him that we have one great high priest. The consecration of the priest, the ministries of the priest, the restrictions on the priest are mentioned in those chapters. and We have a picture of what Christ has done for us and we have a picture of our position in Christ. Holiness in daily life The Bible talks about the food of God's people in chapter 11, children of God's children, how they're to behave, the cleansing of leprosy, cleansing of running issues, other health issues, the great day of atonement, the place of sacrifice, the value of blood, the application of the commandments to life situations. God gave the 10 commandments in Exodus, and boy, he unfolds what those mean in in the book of Leviticus. He goes into the detail. Uh, There's a verse in Proverbs that speaks about the home where it tells a child, uh, not to forsake the commandment of his father and the law of his mother. And uh, there's a picture there in the Old Testament Ten Commandments, the lo- the, there was the Ten Commandments and the law was how those commandments unfolded. And in the home, there's the p- picture that a husband would lead his home and a father would lay the direction of the home and, and mom would come by with the details of help carrying those things out on a daily basis. There's an incredible picture there. And here we see the law of God's word given. As God expects his people to live holy. The holy days are found in chapter 23. And the law and the prophecies for the promised land in chapters 24 through 26. And the dedication and devotions the concerning the vows. But so many pictures in this book of Leviticus. We see Jesus in the book of Exodus. In the book of Leviticus. He's typified in the sacrifices and the offerings. I, I wish I had time, I, not that long ago, we went through the book of Hebrews on a, on a Wednesday night. And the Bible speaks about Hebrews of a, just a shadow. The Old, Testament, the Old Testament law, Colossians, he says something as well. It was a shadow of those things which were to come. Well, as you read the, you read the book of Leviticus, you see how the people had a shadow, a, a glimpse of what was coming in the Lord Jesus Christ. They had a glimpse of... In the sacrifices that they ministered daily of a Savior who would sacrifice Himself once for all. You and I look backward and we see it all in full view, but they had just a shadow, typified in the Jewish festivals such as the Passover and the Day of Atonement. in chapter 16 and 23, those festivals that would paint for them a picture of what the Messiah would do for them. You know, friend, without the Old Testament, we wouldn't understand what God did for us at Calvary. There'd be no understanding. And I think of this talking to missionaries that go to places around the world where they don't know anything about Jesus. You know where they go when it comes to witnessing many times? They go to the Old Testament. They start in the Old Testament. They start with Genesis. They start talking about how how God made the world. They talk about how sin entered into the world. They talk about the need for a blood sacrifice. They talk about those things because without them there's no real understanding of why Jesus did what he did at Calvary. Now, we take it for granted because we've heard it our whole life. But if you talk to someone who's never heard it at all, they go all the way back to the beginning and begin to describe why Jesus did what he did. And friend, without books like this, we'd have no clue why Calvary. Why sacrifice? Why his death? And all those things unfold in these Old Testament books. We see Christ typified here. We typified in the scapegoat that would bear the sins of the people, tiff, uh, typified in the person and the duties of the high priest. We have a great high priest. Uh, would it, go with your Bibles, if you would, and, and I, here to 1 Peter chapter 1, and, or if it may be on your notes, but 1 Peter chapter 1, and we'll get into the message part, but I, I think of what an incredible book this is. I, I would encourage you to read through the book of Leviticus from the standpoint of the pictures that it paints of what Christ did for us at Calvary. The pictures that it paints of what the Lord did for us at Calvary, His expectation from His people that we would be holy before Him. It paints a picture of what Christ did for us. It paints a picture of why He did it for us. 1 Peter 1, 13-16 says this, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children... Not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. God's standard for people is holiness. It's holiness. You know, we get uncom- Many people get uncomfortable with the, with the book of Leviticus. They get uncomfortable with some of those Old Testament books. You know why? Because of a clear call for holiness. A clear call for a holy life. We want a world that offers forgiveness without cleansing. We, we want to be forgiven, but to continue to live the way we want to live from the beginning. But that is not the call of God. God said, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin continue any longer therein, there is a call for holiness, the necessity of a sacrifice to provide that. Leviticus teaches us that the way to God is by sacrifice. The word atonement occurs forty-five times in the book of Leviticus. Atonement means to cover up. The blood of bulls and of goats did not actually take away sin; it covered over until Christ came to take away our sin. It was a picture of what they were hoping for. Hebrews 10:1. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. They never could. I read this morning and reading in the book of 1 Kings about Solomon and his dedication of the temple and thousands of sacrifice the day of the dedication. I think it was over 20,000-some sheep that were sacrificed the day. What a bloody day that was. And it didn't make any man righteous. Not a one. Well, it didn't do one. It was just a shadow. Hebrews 10, 9 through 12 says this. Those sacrifices didn't do anything, but at the conclusion of that chapter, he said, then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifice which can never take away sin. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. Once for all. Boy, those Old Testament sacrifices couldn't do anything. They were like trying to cover something that just bled through the next day. <laughs> but in the Lord Jesus Christ, once for all. Romans 3.25 says this. Whom God has sent forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood, to declare His righteousness, and then it says this: for the remission of sins that are past, through the forbearance of God. God didn't just cover them up; He dealt with them in their entirety. 2 Corinthians 5:20 20 through 21 says: Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, Be ye reconciled to God, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Well, that book of Leviticus reminds us exactly why Jesus died. Because, friend, there is none righteous, no, not one. None. There is none that is good. There is none of us on our own that can stand before God and say that we are righteous. There's no man that can earn their way into glory because God looks at us and says, condemned, condemned, condemned. And so God sent his own son Jesus to die on the cross to rise again three days later that you and I might be saved and no animal sacrifice was sufficient. It required the blood, the perfect blood of a perfect lamb, our Lord Jesus Christ for our sin. And this book reminds us of that. I think, Christian, we should never... Lose sight of what Jesus had to do to deal with sin. You know, Calvary not only speaks of God's love. I think the greatest picture of God's love is Calvary, isn't it? I mean, if you want a picture of love, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You want a picture of love, look to Calvary. You want a picture of the consequence of sin, look to Calvary. Calvary reminds us of how defiling and destructive sin is. It's amazing to me that we have such an incredible picture of love, an incredible picture of the destruction of sin, and yet we live in a day and age when many in the Christian world are trying to whitewash over it as if it's no big deal. Calvary says differently. The cross says differently. The wrath of God poured upon the Son of God for the sin of man says differently. Holiness is an expectation of God for His people and He recognizes this about us. No man gets there on his own, does he? No man. if we'll be forgiven, if we'll be declared positionally righteous before the Lord, it will be because of His Son. We see the necessity of a holy walk, the necessity of a holy walk. Leviticus teaches that the walk with God is is meant to be sanctification. The word holiness occurs 87 times in the book of Leviticus. Holy. Holiness. To be holy. In Peter, the Lord remind us, be ye holy as I am holy. In Romans, the Lord would say again, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. And uh, over and over again, the Lord would remind us in the verses... We read in Corinthians, God would remind us again uh, that we are to live holy and to live differently. In 1 Corinthians, he would say we're the temple of the Holy Ghost. God has an expectation of holiness from his people. Hebrews 13, 20 through 21 says, Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever, amen. God wants a holy people. Make you perfect in every good work to do His will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ. God calls us to a holy walk. To walk holy before Him. The consecration of the priest revealed the importance of consecration of the Christian. First Peter 2, 9 says this, But ye are a chosen generation... A royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light; that ye should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. You're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people. The word peculiar means similar to. It doesn't mean odd or weird. It just means resembling God. The world is supposed to be able to look at us and see a peculiar people, a a royal priesthood, someone who's been called out of darkness and into his marvelous light. God calls us to holiness, to live holy. Holy. He said, you belong to me. God didn't want them worshiping the gods they worshiped in Egypt. He didn't want them living the immoral life they lived when they were in Egypt. He didn't want them practicing life the way they did in Egypt. He said, come out from among them and be ye separate. And he repeats that to the New Testament Christian. It's amazing sometimes how God saves us from everything. And if we're not careful, we're just, we we get, we think, we look at those people of Israel, and boy, we get kind of hard on them, don't we, as they come out of, the, out, of the, out of Egypt. And what were they always doing in the wilderness? Can we go back? Right, can we go back? No water. Find us a way back. How are we going to eat? Can you get us back to Egypt? Come up against the Jordan River. Hey, can we go back? Yet if we're not careful, we do the same thing as a Christian. Saved, forgiven, and called out. Hey, can we go back to the world's music? Go back to the world's actions. Can we go back to enjoying the things the world enjoys? Can we go back? Can we go back? Can we go back? No, friend, that's what God saved us from, Christian. God saved us from those things. Not that we would be like them, not that we would resemble them, but that our life would be changed. And if we're not careful, we're wondering why God isn't working in our life when we're walking the same way the world walks. We're involved in the same lifestyles, the same... We're wondering why we have the same problems in Christian homes that they're having in the worldly homes, and it's because we're living the same way the world's living. Exodus says, live differently. Leviticus says, come out from them, be different, saith the Lord. It amazes me when we have all the world's influences in our life, and then we bellyache about the consequences we receive. Broken homes, ruined lives, ungodliness. Why? Because we went back to Egypt. We went back to Egypt. God says, "Be ye holy." Leviticus gives us that picture. I, I mean, I I I, 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 try, I don't follow Christian contemporary music at all. I, I I think it's an oxymoron. I don't think it's Christian. All right. Anybody? But but I saw some the Dove Awards. Anybody pay any attention at all to the Dove Awards this so-called Christian music? Do you know they had a cross-dressing Christian at the Dove Awards? Man showing up winning awards for Christian music dressed as a woman. Here, have this award. Make your lights the same, your music the same, the beats you're saying. The only thing different is that you're not cursing his name. They sing about God like he's a drug. You know, the world's music's got sex, drugs, and all those things. In, in many of the Christian music today, they're singing about God like he is all those things, and they think it's holy. You don't make something holy by just changing a word. You don't. God says be different there is a call I, i'm afraid sometimes for our young people I, I what what makes me afraid is that they are hearing the world's music with christian words the christian influence of media or the, the world's version of media the world's version of music the world's version of, of goals in life all those things and we wonder why and then here's what we do they turn 18 and they walk away and who do we blame? The church. The church did it to me. Let me ask you. Did they have your kid's heart by its media? Did they have your kid's heart by its music? Did they have your kid's hearts with sports being the goal? Did they live for him on the weekend? Don't blame church when they walk away don't do it you can't hand the heart of your child over back to Egypt and expect someone to walk into the promised land and the call of Leviticus the call of the New Testament I've called you out of that don't go back you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation the diet God's, God provided for his people shows the importance of what we bring into our lives. If you were to read chapter 11, you'd see God talking about the diet of the people. Surely there's medical things and, and, and things of significance at that time, but Philippians 4, 8 says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. It's as if God said our spiritual diet matters in our life. And this one's hard, isn't it? The world bombards us. It is hard. I, you know, I don't have my phone. I left it in my truck. But I'll be honest, it's hard, isn't it? I think of the new tip when it says that in the Bible that it'll be as the days of Noah in, those day, in the final days. One of the things it says about the day of Noah is every imagination of their heart was wicked continually. You think, how does that happen? Well, I can tell you. I'll tell you, you know what kids fight about when they, they come into school, one of the things? They have to give up their phone all day long. Do you know a battle every year when we go to camp? You've got to give up your phone. And not with just with kids, with parents. I ain't going to take my kid's phone away. You know? And half of that, the reason the parent's mad about it is because their kid's mad about it and they don't want to tell the kid no. Sorry if I hurt your feelings, but it's true. They don't want it. The world's media, it captures their mind 24-7. 24-7. A constant diet. Matter of fact, the Bible says, be still and know that I am what? God. If we're not careful, we don't know what it is like to be still anymore. Not just our young people, but we as adults. Don't know what it is like to be still How can we know that He is God if we don't know what it's like just to sit down, be still, and be in His Word? I think if I'm being still, I've got to hear something going in my ears. I've got to be looking at something. I have to be doing something. We don't know what it's like. Half the reason we many times have a hard time getting something from God's will, from God's Word, is because we don't know how to be still. Like if we're not pumping something in our ears. And we just don't know what to do. Be still and know that I am God. It wouldn't hurt to just shut it off from time to time. But God in Leviticus reminds us of our diet. What is the spiritual diet of your life? What are you thinking upon in your life? What are you bringing into your heart and into your life? It matters. God said, be holy. He goes, I don't want you to think like the world. I don't want you to act like the world. I want there to be something different about your life. Now, now I am so thankful that I, I don't have to dress like they did. I don't have to do the sacrifices like they did. And I'm thankful for all of that. But it hasn't changed this aspect. God hasn't changed his mind that I belong to him and not the world. God hasn't changed his mind that diet matters, does it? that our spiritual diet would be pleasing in His sight. God hasn't changed His mind upon it. It reminds us the teaching of leprosy shows us the defiling nature of sin. Well, you read the stories of the leper, and boy, the leprous, how it would spread and how it had to be handled. And 2 Timothy 2, 20-21 says, But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these... He shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. To live holy. Leprosy. Boy, the the effects of leprosy. Their, Their limbs would grow numb. Body parts would fall off. And the first thing they would do is they would just lose that feeling. They were to be separated from the people lest it spread. And it was a picture of, of sin and the defiling nature of sin, the consequence of sin. And God said, get it out. It has to come out from the camp. And God reminds us of this as a Christian. Get sin out of your life. There's no place for it. It has a defiling nature. It will defile us, it will defile those around us. Death, where lust when it hath conceived, bringeth forth sin, and sin when it is finished, bringeth forth What? There's no sin that isn't destructive. There's no sin that brings forth a positive end. Sin is always destructive. And God says, don't let it in. The call. Be holy as I am holy. The Lord reminds us that. We we see it in Leviticus and we see it in the New Testament and Exodus shows us the way out. It's that Old Testament picture of the way out of bondage and the world and sin and Leviticus sees, us, sees the way into God's presence. Draw an eye to God and he'll draw an eye to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. Purify your hearts, ye double-minded. He's saying, come be, come, 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 I've come to you through salvation and offered you that. Now live like you're my child. Come near to me. Let me cleanse your life. Let me not only offer you salvation, but let me change your life reminds us of that we see the necessity of the power of god in our life second corinthians six sixteen through 17 what agreement hath the temple of god with idols for ye are the temple of the living god as a god has said i will dwell in them and walk in them and i will be their god and they shall be my people wherefore come out from among them and be separate saith the lord and touch not the unclean thing and i will receive you What know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you which ye have of God and ye are not your own for ye are bought with a price therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are God's. Boy, there's a need to remind ourselves that if you're going to live a holy Christian life it will be by the same power that saved you, won't it? By a heart seeking confession and repentance I'm thankful that His mercies are new every day. I'm thankful that, he, that he, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Uh, aren't you glad that God forgives when we're wrong? God, I, I just read in the life of Solomon, but I just finished some things about David. And God called David a man after God's own heart. And that's a pretty amazing statement when you look at the life of David. God would measure every other king to follow David. By whether they walked as David, their father, walked. You ever notice that? David did have something right. He knew how to get right with God. And he always ran back to God. He was far from a perfect man. He was a very sinful man. You want to look at David, you'll look at him. I think of how Paul said, I'm the chiefest of sinners. David was close running, wasn't he? Pretty close running. And yet God grants mercy and forgiveness. I'm thankful for the mercy and the forgiveness of God because, friend, there's not a one of us who are holy on our own. And there is the reminder to say this, God, let me live today holy. Strengthen my walk. Why be in the word of God? Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy what? Thy word. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not what? Sin against God. The working of the Word of God in our life. Watch and pray lest ye enter into temptation. Incredible importance of walking in the Spirit of God, being yielded to Him. To walk that holy life before the Lord. I am thankful for the forgiveness of He offers and the Spirit of God within that can strengthen us to live right before Him. Temperance. One of those fruits of the Spirit, isn't it? A spirit controlled man. There's the call of it. I tell you what, I don't, I don't think there's as I one of the things I did this afternoon as I was getting ready for tonight, I I uh, went for a walk in the the building there. And as I was walking in the building there, I was saying, Lord, is there something between you and I? I was scared to death about preaching on holiness. I don't know how anybody could preach on holiness without being a little scared. How do you preach on holiness? And you be thankful for the mercy and the grace of God. And as I walked through there, I spent time. Okay, Lord, is there something between you and I? Guess what I found out. There was because <laughs> there's not a perfect person on this earth. There is not. But God calls us to holiness. A holiness that He offers through His Son. A holiness he calls his people to practice in their life. And a holiness that he equips us to live by way of his Holy Spirit of God at work in our life. As we are yielded to him. Lord, let me live holy. And you ought to ask yourself, and I believe this with all of my heart. God calls us, tells us his children, it's not as much what I'm running from as it is what I'm running toward. I've heard people complain about this thing called the living holy. And generally the reason they complain about it is because they're focused on all the things they need to get rid of. Right? I'm going to have to quit doing this, I have to quit doing that. But what they lose sight of is what they're gaining. Right? My focus isn't on what I'm laying off. My focus is meant to be on what I'm picking up. One of the pictures of the church is the bride of Christ. And if you read Ephesians chapter 5, one of the things he wants of the bride of Christ, the church, is holiness. I uh, read about Solomon, talked about Solomon and uh, Samuel. Do you remember how many wives Solomon had? Yeah, he's keeping count 300 some something. Do you remember know how, how many concubines? 700, all right. It was his downfall, right? As a matter of fact, if you read 1 Kings, you'll find it's his downfall. The Bible specifically says he loved them. And next thing you know, he was worshiping their gods. But God calls us to something different, doesn't he? You know, when when a person gets married, they walk down that aisle and they get married. Are they thinking about the one they're marrying or all the ones they're leaving behind? Friend, if you're thinking about all the ones you're leaving behind, turn around at the altar and walk back out. Is it better for you to end it at the altar and get in that marriage and end it later? Right? No. Your mind isn't on everything you're leaving out. Your mind is on the one that's walking down the aisle. Christian, if your mind is on the world that you're supposed to be leaving rather than the Savior you're gaining, you're missing the point of holiness. The point of holiness is is the Savior I'm walking toward, not the world I'm leaving off. The world's hard to leave when you're constantly looking at it. But if your eye is on Jesus, you know, sometimes you'll be keeping your eye on Jesus and you'll say, whoa, whoa, that, that right here just doesn't measure up with what I know about the Lord. I think I'll leave that off. You're not going to have to say, a thou shalt not. That Holy Spirit of God will speak to your heart and say, "Hi, ah, avoid that. Live holy, live holy, live holy before the Lord. Leviticus gives us an Old Testament portrait of the holiness of God. Be thankful, friend. We're not going back in a physical manner living out what they were doing there. Sundays would be an awful bloody day or Saturdays or those other days of sacrifice, wouldn't they? We're not living that. But it does remind me there's a Savior who died for me on Calvary so I could be holy. Reminds me that there's a call to live holy and be separate like the Lord. And in the New Testament, we find our exodus in the Gospels, the way out. And in the epistles, we find the way of holiness and living in the Christian life. And in the book of Revelation, friend, we see the day that it will be worth it all. When the bride of Christ walks into the presence of the groom and sees him face to face and worships that God that day living holy will be worth it all. The things you left off will seem so small in the presence of your savior. It will be worth it all. Let's pray together. Lord, I love you and I thank you so much for the word of God. I, Lord, I'm thankful for the call to holiness. I'm thankful for the salvation that you offered through your son that we could be positionally holy with the Lord. And, I'm thankful that you didn't just save us from sin, but that you called us out of it and equipped us through your word, through prayer, through the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life to live holy, to live right. Lord, maybe there's something tonight. Lord, as it was for me this afternoon, for someone that you showed something in their life, lay this off. It's unholy. It must go from your life. Lord, I pray tonight we lay it down. Maybe it's to run back towards the Lord, that we get our focus off of all the things maybe we feel like we have to lay off. And we get our eyes on the one that we get to pick up, our Lord Jesus Christ and our Savior. That one day, it will be worth it all. Heads bowed and eyes closed. How many of you can say tonight, Preacher, I know that I'm saved. I know it's Wednesday night, but you say, Preacher, I know that I'm saved on my way to heaven. That was decided for me. Would you raise your hand as a testimony? Thank you so much. You can put your hand down. Is there anybody to say, Preacher, I'm unsure. I just don't even know for sure whether I know him. I know about him, but I'm not sure that I know him. I'd sure like to settle that for for myself tonight. Is there anybody like that? You say, preacher, would you pray for me? I want to put my trust in the Lord. Let me ask you this then, Christian. How many of you say, preacher, the Lord has spoken to my heart? I don't know what it may. Maybe it's very individual for you that God just laid something specific in your heart and said, put this off. Put this off. It's unholy. It's defiling. It'll cost you. It'll cost you in your home. It'll cost you in your personal life. Maybe it's just that reminder to keep your eyes on Jesus. But if you say, hey, preacher, the Lord has spoken in my heart this evening, would you just raise your hand as a testimony? And would you stand with me as the pianist begins to play, as, as God has spoken in your heart, do business with the Lord. and.